Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how you can improve your relationship with your body and sexuality after cancer treatment or during the cancer treatment. I know this can be a very challenging time for people. And in this episode, we're going to talk about what can you do and actionable steps that you can take to repair your relationship with your body and pleasure. But before I tell you about our guest today, I wanted to share with you that how grateful I am for those of you who left me a review for for my birthday. Few weeks ago, I shared with you guys, I was my birthday and for my birthday episode, I shared a personal story on how I changed my negative sexual schema. And many of you guys wrote me a wonderful, kind reviews and iTunes. I'm going to read a few of them. So one of them was by Red Panda Bear from US. She said, I love this podcast and listen to it as often as possible. I was raised in an absent only home and it's a lot to overcome. This podcast has opened my eyes to a lot of new things and has already made my sex life better and better. Thanks, Dr. Moali. Thank you for listening and applying all these things. We're talking about it. I feel very passionate about helping people who grow up in a conservative background because that was my challenge. And I hope that together we can change this negative messages around sex and sexuality for people like me and you. The next one was by KMC Need from US. Person said, this is an excellent podcast with science-backed, reliable information on a variety of taboo topic topics. Keep up the good work. Thank you. So guys, if you find this podcast helpful, please, please leave us an honest review in iTunes. The more reviews we get, we will be able to reach a broader audience because we're going to get ranked higher in iTunes. So it's not about my ego. It's about I want to help more people. And please join me in this effort, because as you know, that the society is full of negative messages around sexuality and sexual wellness. So it's on me and you to make sure that we're changing these conversations. Anyhow, as I shared with you today, we're going to talk about sex after cancer. Our guest is Tara Galliano. Tara helps women reimagine their bodies after cancer and rekindle their sexuality. She's a certified sex therapist and teaches the class Rediscovering My Body After Cancer to amazing, courageous women who have had cancer. For the past five years, she has taught this class at Boulder Community Health. Currently, she's creating an online course based on this class to make the content more accessible to women everywhere. She's also currently writing a book based on rediscovering my body class, so she may share widely with all those that are seeking sexual renewal after cancer. I leave her information in the show notes. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Tara Galliano. 
Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to join you guys today. Our guest is Tara Galliano. She's a sex therapist. She have, one of her specialty is helping people to rediscover their body after cancer, which is such a challenging topic, at least for many of my clients who are in the midst of treatment from cancer or they are post-treatment and they want to kind of reconnect with their sexuality. Tara, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. I am so excited. I love all of your writing and presentation that you have, at least the one I I saw and I heard. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you see in the survivors when it comes to sexuality after, after cancer treatment and also maybe while they're receiving the treatment. Yes, yes. Well, there's so many. I mean, and I I would like to speak primarily to the women that I see. I see uh, far more women in my practice than I do men. The men that I see are usually struggling with prostate cancer and testicular cancer. And oftentimes the men are struggling with erectile dysfunction and how to regain intimacy with their partners. So oftentimes the men really identify with their erection being a significant sign of their manhood. And without that, they feel a loss and grief around that sense of self and how then to be a man in the world, how to be a man for themselves and how to be a man for their partner. And I think oftentimes they really struggle with that process and they do that alone. And the big difference that I see is that with women, that they're much more relational and they are communal and they want to have the sense that their experience not unique, that there's some process of normalizing that happens when they speak amongst themselves with other cancer survivors, other women who've had the experience of cancer diagnosis, cancer treatment. And the women are really reaching out and listening and supporting each other and then also having a better understanding of what has changed for them. I would say some of the biggest issues are body issues, the loss of their own sense of self and what it means to be a a woman, especially if they're struggling after a mastectomy or other surgical altercations to their body. Just reproductively, women are struggling with vaginal dryness, irritation, atrophy as well. Oftentimes, radiation and chemotherapy can really impact the quality of the vaginal lining, and there's some shrinkage there as well, and women have to work with dilators. And recently, I was working with one woman, and none of her providers had told her that it would be best for her to work with dilators. And I thought that just blew my mind because she was five years out of treatment and that (laughs) nobody had mentioned that. And that when she came into my office, I was the first person who had asked if she'd work with dilators and she didn't even know what they were. So I see a whole like myriad of issues that impact women and men after cancer and during the cancer treatment. Well, I'm with you that at times I have lots of respect for people who are medical profession and physicians, but sometimes I feel sexual health information becomes like an afterthought because that's what I see as, as well that at times people don't have right information. They don't, they don't know the impact and they try to kind of like brainstorm it on themselves or thinking something is wrong with them. But it's yeah. because, and at times it comes from the value of the provider 
I know that I kind of, when I had a client that she was struggling I, with medication that impacted her a libido, we kind of prob- like tra- uh, problem solved by teaching her assertive training and what to say. And her doctor said, you know, I don't care about sex. Sex doesn't matter for women like us er- later in life, which killed me. It was so devastating. Wow. I was like, oh God, maybe she doesn't think sex is important, but it's, it shouldn't be yeah. how you dictate your care. But it's wonderful that the, your client got connected with you. So tell, tell our listeners who are not familiar with dilators, what are dilators? So dilators, at least the ones that I use in my practice, are usually silicon and they're of different diameters and different sizes. So the smaller size might be around the diameter of a pinky and they come up to a larger size where the girth of it is, I would say, approximately the size of the average penis. And so they come up in size And the idea is with the insertion of the dilators that there's more extension in the vaginal wall, that there's more ability to be able to have penetrative sex at some point, and that it helps the elasticity of the vagina. So through practice and through regular exercise using the dilators, the women can then start to relax and feel pleasure again through the process of penetration. So I think the dilators that I have access to are not necessarily the best. I've seen other ones that are crystal and that have more, I guess, curvature for the, that are more anatomically correct for the women's body to be able to receive that. Um, But the ones that I have in my office, I just are, are pretty standard straight dilators that are silicon. Very thoughtful of you to thinking about kind of you wanted to perhaps offer the ones that are more scientifically correct. Uh, I feel like when I'm trying to explain it to clients and show it uh, in the session, it comes with lots of discomfort, like a emotional discomfort. But it, I, I see it can be a wonderful tool and uh, something that is just many people are not aware of it, even clinicians. So it's it's wonderful that you talk about it with your clients and you demonstrate it. But back to the conversation around cancer, one of the main piece that I see in survivors, especially as you mentioned, if they're going to kind of mastectomy and changes in the body, many of my female clients, at least people who have female body, they are very attached and their sexuality is attached to their breast. And it's with loss and the change of the surgery, it comes out of this drastic sense of loss. So how do you help clients navigate that? You know, I want to get back to the piece about the providers because I just recently had a talk with some doctors and one of the pieces that they emphasized even though they felt like they had a little bit more personal comfort with the topic of sex and sexuality was the time limit that they have with their Mm. patients that they're on such a fast pace that they have maybe 10 or 15 minutes with the patient that there's really just not enough time to address topics like sex and sexuality and then of course there's the other pieces of the inadequate training their own understanding of what is safe and effective treatment for sex and sexuality after cancer so i just wanted to say that because i do find that there are providers out there that want to have this conversation Mm -hmm. but again they struggle with their own discomfort own lack of knowledge and and the timeliness that they have with the patients that it's not enough. And, and then coming into the larger issues of what is a woman or who is a woman and what is womanhood and, and how do we embody that? I think that's 
huge philosophical right. um, goodness. I mean, yeah, I mean, I just think it's so impactful. It's ex existential. And so as a medical provider, goodness, to step into that territory just feels, I would say, daunting. Like, how do we even approach that? So when most of the women that I have the pleasure of working with is that they've come to feeling that they can vocalize and articulate and start speaking about this issue of sexuality with providers that are doing hands-on work. So they're more likely to feel comfortable speaking to massage therapists or physical therapists, somebody that's already touching their body and can then see the impact of the mastectomy or the surgical alter, uh, altercations on their physiology after cancer or the scars that they've had from chemotherapy or radiation. Those physical impacts open up then the conversation. And I think there's a huge goodness, sense of loss for the woman who's undergone cancer treatment, that there's a huge sense of grief, and all of those layers need to be addressed. And I've been teaching this class called Rediscovering My Body at the local hospital in Boulder for quite a number of years now. I teach it in the spring and I teach it in the fall, and it's an intimate group of eight women, and it gives women the sense of community to start talking about these deeper issues because oftentimes they do place such emphasis on their breasts and how that makes them feel like a woman and that it gives other people the social, I guess, cues that they are a woman. And without those indicators, they feel a loss. And then how do they embody being a woman and what does it mean for them to be a woman? And those are the deeper questions that we have the opportunity to dive into because those are scary topics, I think, for a lot of us. If we are not our bodies, then who are we? And if, if our breasts are an erogenous zone, then how do we experience pleasure? And how then do we relate to our partners if they found that those parts of our body that are now gone or altered, if those were the most attractive parts of ourselves to them, then how do we embody sexy? How do we feel confident being attractive to our partners? What a beautiful way of putting it, because I feel a part of it also, it stemmed from our culture and the media that kind of the identity, this embodiment of being a woman is like your breasts and genital and like mm -hmm. out, outward appearance. But as you're talking about, there's just so much more. And if we are kind of attaching our uh, womanhood to our breasts. And of course, with losing it, it comes sense of loss. But what I'm hearing that with the deeper work that you do with these women in these groups, you help them to kind of see the whole kind of holistic kind of image of what does it mean to be a woman and female energy? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I agree with you with the provider piece. I, my, my husband's a physician and I work with lots of physicians and you're right that they are overwhelmed. They have like limited amount of time and genuinely, and I have these conversations all, all the time with physicians that unless this was something that was they were passionate about, they never got training on it. That like, what yeah. does it mean? What to say? How to approach it? These are very, very sensitive conversations to have. And, and I, I think it's a gift that in the Boulder community, they have you to run these groups and kind of offer these trainings to women to kind of connect differently with their bodies. Does it, I guess, as far as it comes to women and cancer, the issues that you see in the midst of the treatment, are they different than after people going to treatment? That's a great question. I think 
during the treatment, there's so much more uncertainty and there's so much more anxiety. And I think that there's the sense of groundlessness and not knowing, not knowing how things will end up, not knowing if their prognosis was correct, not knowing their energy levels. I feel like there's just such groundlessness within the process that women grapple with. And I think also that the mindset is so much about survival of how am I going to get through this? I think afterwards, most women, especially if they are feeling vital and feeling sexual or feeling like they want to date or they have a partner and they want to reconnect to them sexually, that there is a desire to understand that pathway forward because they feel like they have a grasp on surviving and they know what that has been like for the past few months, for the past few years, and they're re really ready for something more. And so some of the physical issues in terms of the atrophy, the um, dryness, the irritation, those may stay fairly consistent throughout the duration of the treatment and afterwards, I would say what changes for a lot of women is a psychological perspective of changing from surviving to thriving and how they're going to live their lives. And then also the desire to reconnect to their partner in a loving way. Oftentimes what I see is that the roles of lovers have been lost in the relationship and that there's this caregiver dynamic and the caregiver is oftentimes very uncomfortable then with touching the woman, that they're fearful that any touch will be a painful experience. And so they wait for the woman to then dictate how the pleasure will go or how their relationship sexually will proceed. And oftentimes the woman doesn't know much more either. And she feels this growing chasm between her and her partner and doesn't necessarily feel like she has the tools or the skills to bridge that. And what she notices is that her partner is not approaching her, usually out of fear, but she doesn't think that it's fear. What she thinks is oftentimes that she's not attractive or there's something wrong with her or that her partner is fearful of touching her, not, not because of the pain, but because that their partner is not sure if there's going to be a spark anymore. What, what is left of their relationship in terms of that erotic life together? Well, I think it's such an important uh, dynamic that you highlighted because I hear that at times as well that people feel like now I went through the surgery and with these changes, it possibly brings up some insecurities. And because the partner tried to be in their mind, he or she being thoughtful about it with not wanting to press the partner or like pressure the partner to having sex, that might lead to some confusion. And I think the other piece when it comes to sex and intimacy, it's going to be like confusing to should I touch the breast? Should I not touch the breast? What should I say? What should I do? And yeah. if it's not a clear communication around that, then that can cause some conflict and issue and possibly leads to disappointment. Yes. Oh, yes. And I see that again and again in couples. And it, for me, it's so heartbreaking because I know that there's so much love between them and they really want to express that. And oftentimes they just feel so stifled by their insecurities about how to approach really the elephant in the room. How do we address that? And I, what I find is through the process of sex therapy and also these psychoeducational groups like Rediscovering My Body, that women then get a better understanding 
of the gentle steps of the very simple approach that they can start to make towards their partner or towards dating or towards their lovers by expressing their very simple desires and starting to embody pleasure within their own bodies as they are able to understand that more completely more confidently then they can start to share that with their partner and I, I think oftentimes the women in the group say goodness I wish my partner could be here I wish my significant other was here so they could understand this process as well so I, I try to teach a class for couples as well through the hospital because I think that it's so important that the spouse or the significant other get that support too, that they are not necessarily doing anything wrong, but they also need to make some steps forward. And it's okay if they make mistakes, that they can be gentle with themselves as well as being gentle with their partner. And I agree with you that at times the couple component of the, the partner, the lover, if they can be part of this conversation, that can be very helpful because unfortunately many of us uh, didn't learn to uh, have kind of communication around sex and sexuality, especially if some, that's something that's so vulnerable. So having a structure and having the kind of the uh, forum kind of the place to talk about it, that can be very helpful and healing. Uh, one of the challenge that I see in my clients, especially women who go through treatment is lack of desire on low desire. I know perhaps that could be an issue related to uh, physiological changes or it can connect to uh, fight and flight response that it, it, they are in a survival mode and at times yeah. even several years after treatment, they don't know if it's going to be a kind of return or real, kind of like return of the cancer. So tell us what can we, what can women do if they experience low desire, but they still want to have the uh, sexual and erotic component of their life alive in the relationship? Yes. I, I mean, and I love that contradiction that we live in as women that yes, I want to be connected intimately with my partner and sometimes I struggle with low desire because of hormonal changes or in the case of women who've had cancer, sometimes there's a menopause that happens through the cancer treatment that happens earlier than we would have liked. And so following that whole process of hormonal changes, how then do we connect with our partners intimately? And I think one of the biggest things that we can do is that we can recognize that our brain is one of the most important, if not the most important organs for sex and sexuality, that that is how we're connecting to our partner, that the desire starts with the thought and then the arousal is a physiological response and that that connection goes beyond. And I think oftentimes we're limited when we think about sex, we're thinking about penile vaginal penetration and that to go beyond that is really what needs to happen, that we start to use and invoke our imagination, that we cultivate creativity, that we welcome wonder in our relationship of that erotic connection with our lover, that we're starting to use different parts of our brain to cultivate sensations of pleasure that don't necessarily revolve around intercourse, but it's about slowing things down so we're experiencing pleasure within our own body and then connecting with our partner. Some women have shared such beautiful stories about how they've thrown out the, you know, I guess the myth that sex is intercourse and allowed themselves and given themselves permission to just connect with their partners as humans and as humans seeking pleasure. And one 
woman said in particular that she would she was so drained from the process of chemotherapy that she wanted to be next to her partner and so they would just lie next to each other naked and it was just their fingertips that would touch but they would do that regularly just to be in that space of stepping into the erotic that they would be naked together for a certain amount of time just their fingertips touching and that that was the way that they were connecting and feeling this erotic exchange between the two of them and that as she felt better and she had more energy then they started to do different things and connect but it was a very simple way and for them what I loved is that it was creative and imaginative and it it wasn't like what their sex life looked like in the past, but it was something new for them to explore together. And, and stepping into that unknowing together is a very vulnerable space. And I think that it's also one of courage. And when couples can do that together, it's such a beautiful dynamic experience of, I, I don't know, but I'm just going to follow my pleasure and, and you follow yours and we'll be with each other in that space. And it can be so amazingly, I, I would say refreshing and cleansing for the couple to really start new on what is our erotic path together now. Right. I love that they were redefining and s still staying connected during this journey because uh, sometimes it's hard for people to explore the new normal. It doesn't mean that, that every, always it's going to be like that, but this was a way for them to connect differently and staying connected. And you're yeah. right. I love that you're talking about broad spectrum of what, what sex entails. Because I think sometimes people get so fixated on intercourse that yeah. they don't necessarily pay attention to other pleasurable things that they can incorporate in a relationship, which could be equally or even more pleasurable. Um, yeah. Because sometimes we're not showing up to the sensation in our body before sex because we're just so focused that the, this is we are on the way to intercourse. So the intercourse is the main kind of main player. But I think also the, another challenge that I hear from my clients is that they they are at times feeling low desire, but they feel guilty that they yeah. they feel like you know I'm not meeting my partner's need, and they don't know how to navigate that. What are some of your thoughts around that? Oh, I think that's so huge, uh, and I find that particularly with women who've experienced cancer, that it's so pervasive. It's the guilt, and I think it's often coupled with shame. And the way that I see it expressed is that women feel like the cancer that they've experienced has taken so much time away from their partnership, so much time away from their life, that they've had so much need to go to medical treatment. It's depleted financial resources, emotional resources, psychological resources. And then stepping into pleasure for themselves feels like such uh, I would say a guilty pleasure. Like, why, why would I come to this class rediscovering my body? Why would I do one more thing for myself when I've spent so much time on this medical issue of experiencing cancer and cancer treatment? And the guilt that they feel then to put themselves first, that they can give themselves permission and work with the guilt work with the shame and experience the pleasure in their bodies. And it's so critical that we as women need to put ourselves first 
So we can then know the pleasure within our own bodies and then be able to identify it and articulate it and share that with our partners. When we're coming from the paradigm that it is the other that is so important, which is so easy for us as women to do because we're so validated by being a caregiver or taking care of other people that we will always then experience that guilt of I need to do this for the other person. I need to be this for the other person. And that's never the pathway to pleasure. Well, I I think that's such an important topic that you highlighted, that kind of focusing on other persons, like even for women that are not necessarily cancer survivors, kind of putting other people's pleasure first and how that can be contradictory to experiencing sexual pleasure because there needs to be some level of selfishness or yeah. like being self-centered when it comes to having great sex. Um, yeah. So I, I love that you encourage women to kind of focus on uh, maybe doing things alone to kind of awaken and connect with their sexuality. So for our listeners that they are want to kind of reconnect with their body, this kind of get connected with this embodiment of kind of feminine energy, what are some of these first steps that you recommend people to do? Well, in the class, I, I, I think that it's so important to connect with the experience of being in the body. So we start with a body map, which is actually a quite intimate experience because another woman who is a participant in the class draws the outline of the other woman's body, which in and of itself is a very intimate experience. Not many people have had that experience where somebody is drawing carefully the outline of their whole being. And then once that is created, there is this external representation of the woman. And I think for her to see that is is always shocking in some way, even if it's just slightly shocking, that it's like, wow, that is my body. And then what I ask the woman to do is I ask her to identify the parts of her body where she experiences pleasure by maybe putting a green in there, like a stoplight green is go, and then red for off limits and then maybe a yellow for a maybe. And those are my simple non-artistic directives. But what I see is I see these decoupage masterpieces as the women really own this process of identifying the pleasure in their bodies. And they'll put meadows, you know, over their shoulders where they like those to be rubbed, or they'll put flowers, wildflowers on their feet where they like that to be uh, an area where they like to be touched and experience pleasure. And some of, some of the women are really amazing artists, so they will draw that um, as well. And, and I think for the woman then, as she's taking ownership of her pleasure in this externalized map and then internalizing it and really getting goodness I do feel pleasure there or I really don't want to be touched there now that I've had a mastectomy and what I experience there maybe is not pain but it's numbness and I don't know how to relate to that numbness so it gives women this reference point outside of themselves that enables them then to start speaking about what it is they're experiencing in their body then if they have a partner or a significant other, I invite them to share that process with their partner that they can bring this image to their partner, talk about it, and then maybe even have their partner engage in this process as well, that they, the woman then draws the outline of her partner and the partner gets to go through the process of identifying these are the parts that I find erogenous on my body and you can touch me here, or these are the parts that are actually off limit and I didn't realize that until I did that. 
So it really opens up the conversation and awareness, particularly for the woman after cancer. And I encourage them to do this frequently, not just to stop at one and done, but to do it, date it while they're in the class and then revisit it six months later and see what has changed for them. So there's a deepening. I think there's some sense of acceptance that happens for the woman. I have so many activities and exercises that I work with. I work with trauma in the body. I work where, where shame has been embodied in our vaginal canal and exercises around that. I mean, it just that's the, the body map seems to be very popular activity and one that's easy for people to do in the privacy of their own home today. They just need paper that's big enough. I usually use some packing paper that I get at Staples and some uh, dry, not dry erase markers, a washable markers so you can draw the outline or a pencil so you don't get it on your clothes. But it's really easy stuff. And then the envisioning of what it is that is pleasurable within your own body. And the other activities, I, I just think they're amazing and done within the group just makes it so much more powerful. Tara, this was fantastic. <laughs> because sometimes when I ask people, they talk about mindfulness, which is also important. But I think this, what I liked about this exercise is something that experiential, but it encouraged people to kind of pay attention to their bodies, but they have also something to refer to and share with their partners. Because yeah. sometimes not all of us have like really strong verbal abilities and also like language can be confusing. So I love that you incorporate that kind of using the marks and putting it on the paper as part of the exercise and genuinely sounds like an exercise that anyone could use. I was envisioning myself doing this exercise yes. <laughs> today and sharing it with my husband <laughs> because I think we all can improve on kind of like, first of all, connecting with what's pleasurable for us most importantly, and also kind of sharing that with our lovers. So I, I hear that you have lots of great exercises, tools, strategies. I know that you have a course that's launching soon. So tell us if our listeners are want to learn more about these tools, strategies, and your practice, where would be a good place for them to look for, for those resources? Absolutely. And I love hearing from women about their experience with cancer and cancer treatment, what worked for them, what didn't work for them, how they were able to connect with their partner in an intimate way. So when you contact me, know I'm so interested in hearing more about you as much as I'm sharing my work with you. So one way that I'm connecting with women is through a webinar that I'm hosting September 20th at noon mountain time. And during the webinar, I will do some of the activities that I offer in my class, Rediscovering My Body, but I also will be listening to what's alive in the group and what women are needing. Because I think that different types of cancer cause different types of discomfort in the body and different activities are needed to reawaken and re-experience pleasure in the body. So I will be offering that free webinar September 20th and I look forward to people joining me. And then I actually am offering a retreat. What I find is that the class that I teach at Boulder Community Health is a wonderful opportunity and it's limit, limited to eight women and it is the month of October and mostly the women are in the Boulder area but I'm offering a retreat for Coloradans or people that want to come to Colorado for the first week of November. And it is essentially the class Rediscovering My Body in a three-day format. So it'll be Friday, Saturday, Sunday with all of the content 
which I think is going to be fantastic. So if you don't have the time to take the class over the four weeks in person, that you can just come for the weekend, get the information, and then proceed and implement it in your life. And I will be in contact with you to find out how that's working for you, what's working, how you need to tweak and fine-tune things, because I'm really all about understanding how things can work best for you and your partnership. Excellent. So guys, you can find the link to the to this website, this offerings and the show notes. Tara, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor. Thank you. My pleasure. I hope this episode helped you to have a better understanding of some of the tips and techniques that you can implement if you want to improve your sex life or rekindle intimacy in your life after the treatment and during the treatment. I loved all this actionable tools that and the strategies that Tara recommended in this episode. At the end, I wanted to also remind you guys, I'm doing a series on answering your questions. So if you have a sex-related question and you want it to be featured in this show, please call me. You can just go to my website, sexologypodcast.com. There's this place that you can record your voice. It's about up to 70 minutes. So please record your voice with your questions and I'll answer it on the show. All right. I love you guys. Thank you. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.